I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary series, Muscles and Mayhem, an unauthorized story of American gladiators. Nothing was staged ever. It was awesome. It was real. There was nothing else like it on TV. It was barbaric. We learned quickly. We're going to need more than band-aids here, folks. Today, we're talking to series subjects Dan Nitro-Clark and Lori Ice-Fetrick. In the days before reality TV game shows, one television program invited viewers to win money completing athletic challenges. The catch? They'd have to beat a team of pumped-up, sexy spoilers known as the American Gladiators. The country went wild for the rock'em, sock'em action of everyday men and women facing off against characters like Laser and Gemini. Behind the scenes, the troupe of performers dealt with injuries, steroids, and the perils of being young and famous in Hollywood. But resentment grew as the gladiators were locked in a modest contract while the production company got rich off of merchandise. Muscles and Mayhem takes us behind the scenes of American Gladiators. All the broken bones, screaming groupies, and wild stories of the pioneering television show that was literally a hit. My favorite part about being Nitro was the idea that I could go out and I could enact violence on people in a structured setting and get paid for it. I don't know, I'm just making shit up. It was really the chicks. (laughs) And I'm joined now by former American Gladiators and series subjects, Dan Nitro-Clark and Lori Ice-Fetrick. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Uh, Thank you for having us, Rebecca. I appreciate it. So how do I address you guys as Dan and Lori or Nitro and Ice? You know, I prefer to be go by Dan, but, you know, once in a while, if a nitrous, like an oh nitro slips out like it did when we did the Ellen DeGeneres episode, that's fine. <laughs> You're Lori, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. You can address me as Lori Ice. It doesn't matter. It's all good. I'm curious, what was the pitch uh, from the filmmakers that, that convinced you to take part in this documentary? Well, it was actually the opposite way around. I went and pitched Netflix based upon a book I wrote uh, 10 years ago called Gladiator, True Story. Roy's Rage Redemption, a producer called me and said, hey, I think your book would make a great docuseries. And I'm like, great. And he goes, we have a meeting next week at Netflix. Can, and I'm like, oh, he goes, can you come up with a pitch? And I didn't have anything at all. And I said, yeah, 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 I got it. So I basically took uh, Michael Jordan's The Last Dance meets Tiger King and came up with a pitch based upon that with American Gladiators being the backdrop. So then I became a producing partners with the people who called me. Then we went out and pitched Jared Hess and uh, Tony Vianuco to come in on the show. And Jared Hess, obviously of um, Napoleon Dynamite fame, was a huge, huge American Gladiator fan. So I pitched him and go, here's what I think what the take is. This is what it's about. Here's the episodes. And he said, look, this is great. I want to bring a guy in named Tony Vinuka who just did this film called In Football We Trust that won an Emmy. 
he's really, really great on the drama and connecting the story. He goes, I'm going to make it as funny as shit, but he's going to bring some uh, levity to it. So then from there, I obviously, the first person I called was Ice. And I said, Ice, I'm going to do this. I need you here. And, and Lori, what was your thoughts when I called you? Yeah, I thought it's about time. <laughs> this this uh, documentary, I mean, it, it needed to come out. It needed to be told. It's, I know it's, a, we had a blast, obviously. So we needed everybody in the world to know how much fun we had. So when Dan called me, I'm like, sign me up. I am totally 100% on board. Let's do this. For like the one person who's listening to this who hasn't seen the documentary or has not seen American Gladiators, um, can you just quickly explain the concept of American Gladiators, the game show? Ooh, really quickly. It's uh, for me personally, it's like Davy and Goliath. it's, (laughs) It's the weekend warrior that wants to go up against the gladiators. Dan, actually, I hate to be, I hate to throw this to you, but you actually, you are a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit older. more about that, but I mean, uh, I'm older, <laughs> more wrinkled. I was there a little bit before you just call me old. Call me grandpa yeah, exactly. You were, you were there before me. You were there on the first 13 episodes. So therefore, you know, exactly. But for me, basically, it's like the weekend warrior thing. And so yeah. people love to see that. They love to see the underdog either, you know, go up against somebody extremely um, amazing and win or get their ass beat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As we as we described it to our kids earlier today, it's like American Ninja Warrior, except someone's trying to stop the person. There you go. One hundred percent. As a matter of fact, I mean, exactly. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I think American Ninja Warrior. I mean, that whole thing was our eliminator and they just like revamped it and just made it take off. But we were like the first of the first reality shows and you're going against people. And we were the obstacles in the way of these weekend warriors coming into the show. Right. Now, I'm curious. I'm not sure what you want to say here, but as viewers of the show, and by the way, I was a viewer of the show, like, big time. Were we supposed to root for the contestants who were trying to win money, or were we supposed to root for you guys? Because personally, I was rooting for you guys. I think three-fourths of America was going for the gladiators. I don't know, Dan. I think if you had a dog in the fight, like if it's your brother, your uncle, your cousin who was competing, that's who you're rooting for. Uh, Besides, I think a lot of people rooted for the gladiators. But, you know, to touch upon what you said earlier, you know, Gladiators was a show that gave the average Joe or Jane a shot at their 15 minutes of fame. You know, they had Wheel of Fortune as a game show. They had Jeopardy for the people who are smart, but they didn't have a game show for that person who was an athlete who still felt like they could compete, but didn't have a stage or a venue to do it. American gladiators had ordinary folks fighting against futuristic warriors. Without the contenders, the gladiators would have been nothing. The contestants were an important part of what made them the iconic heroes that they were. And then when American gladiators came, all of a sudden those weekend, those guys who were, or girls who were maybe the best athlete in their neighborhood, it gave them a shot to come on TV, a chance to go against these larger-than-life athletes to test their mettle, to see where they stood, and a chance 
to win a brand new car and $30,000. <laughs> so it was this really, really unique concept. And, you know, what I really love about what Jared and Tony did with this docu-series is they, they used the 90s as a character. When you watch this docu-series, I mean, as you watched it, it transports you back to the 90s. It's a nostalgic romp through that time. It's exciting. It's fun. Yes, you know, you saw that there was sex, drugs, rock and roll, but there's also, you know, tragedy. But what I love, out of that tragedy comes triumph. So I, I, I'm just so excited and I'm just so happy and I think it's so good. And the animation, right? Oh, Right, Rebecca? Wonderful. Can you talk about the animation? The animation looks like Super Friends animation. It is incredible and funny. And I'm not sure whose idea that was, but we've watched a lot of docu-series in the last couple of years that feature animation in different styles. And I think this is my favorite animation yeah. that I've seen. Um, so when did that come into the process that that style of animation was going to be used for the series? So when Jared and I were talking back and forth and uh, you know we're pitching, going back over ideas, he said, Dan, I want to do animation. And my first thing was like, what? That's weird. And then he's, then there's a story we tell him, and I tell him the docuseries uh, about when I went out with Zap. At least in my mind, I was going on a date with her. <laughs> and I had told Jared that story. And it's a story where I take her on a date, you know, and, and we go back to my apartment, we're walking up the driveway, and she has her legs wrapped around my waist. And she whispers in my ear, because I'm giving her piggyback, she says, do you want to see how strong I am? And I was like, yeah, let me have it. She starts to squeeze her legs. And the next thing I know, the world starts to go black. And I'm like, I can't breathe. You know, and I'm like, I, uh, uh. And finally, boom, she was so strong. And I remember it scared me. And so he knew that story. So he says, we're going to animate that. And I'm like, oh. And he says, do you remember Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> where his eyes start to bulge out of his head? So he says, when you drop to your knees, your eyes are going to bulge out like that. Then he showed me a slide for the animation. I said, oh, my God, I get this. That's so fantastic. Instead of doing what we see in a lot of docuseries is recreations, he came up with that genius idea to animate it. And we did it in what we call a He-Man style. Of the night, you say Super Friends, but it's the He Man style, yeah, which really absolutely. fit the air, which really fit the air. And he took things that, when we talked about, I never thought would be funny. We talk about, you know, there's two gladiators who got into a fist fight in the middle of Main Street in Palm Springs, and that story is in my book. And when I tell people, it's a vicious story. But the way Jared and Tony animated it, where you have these two buff guys, you know, punching it out and there's a thing of dust. Then all of a sudden they stop and they catch their breath <laughs> and they go back beating each other up. He took something that was dramatic and found a way to find the humor in it. So it was it was a fantastic choice. Now, I'm curious, Lori, hearing Dan tell that story through the lens of how the animation came to be. At one point in the documentary, you kind of call bullshit on Dan saying he wasn't a ladies man. He wasn't. <laughs> Thanks, Lori. <laughs> I've never dallied with, you know, the girl gladiators. I'm going to call bullshit. I'm sorry. Nitro's very confident, and he seemed that he was very confident with the ladies, you know, so... 
I always thought of Nitro at that point in time like the ladies' man. <laughs> Do you stand by that assertion? <laughs> um, Dan, well, Dan was always a ladies' man. <laughs> I just like to tease him that he wasn't because he was so cocky back then that, of course, yeah. he was just like, I'm the man, you know, and everybody's like, there's Nitro. <laughs> so I would always tease him that he wasn't. <laughs> I may have been a ladies' man at that time, but I was never your man. How come? <laughs> oh, I wonder. Because you were just not my type, baby boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, Laurie? <laughs> well, I, I want to ask about the first season in a second, because that was quite the story of how the first season came to be. But Laurie, as Dan mentioned, you were a later addition to the cast. What was your impression um, when you were walking in to the American Gladiators, you know, when, when you met Dan, when you met the other people and, you know, maybe when you had seen, you know, some of what had gone on in the first season of the show. It, it was really interesting walking into the set. Um, I was really blown away by it, to be quite honest with you, because like Dan said before, when he was talking about this, this was a stage for contenders like, you know, athletes that if they didn't have something to go to, this was it. Well, for me, it was basically exactly the same way. I was an athlete and I wanted to go pro in so many different things and I didn't have that opportunity. So therefore, when Gladiators came around for me, this was my opportunity to go forward as not necessarily a pro athlete, but the Gladiator, which to me was like the next best thing, if not better at the time. So when I walked in on that stage, I was just really blown away by meeting all the gladiators. They were extremely nice and, you know, kind of like taking me in under their wing. And especially this is one thing I, I don't believe I mentioned, but um, Lace at that time took me in under her wing and really kind of showed me the ropes and different things and, you know, how to be on camera and, you know, possibly, you know, different things to say. But it was just, it was walking on that stage and the lights and the camera and how big everything was. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, again, but, see, this is where I get it from him. <laughs> but, but Dan, it, as we saw, it didn't exactly start that way because the uh, early shows, you know, the first season, they were pretty dangerous to a lot of the people involved. But in between them, they didn't say, well, what if the guy gets knocked over, gets hurt? What are we going to do? That thought process never got into Samuel Goldwyn's mind. No clue. Can you talk about some of the craziest things you remember from that time when the show was first starting up? Yes, but I want to backtrack one second. When I first met Lori, it was at Universal Studios, and they said a new Gladiator's coming. And we had a uh, publicity thing to do on the steps right at their Universal. And she came in this little tank top, you know, these shorts. And, and she was so, so gosh darn foxy. And, and, but she was so <laughs> muscular. And she was like this big, strong girl. But it was such a juxtaposition because she has this radiant, radiant smile. And I think from that moment, <laughs> I had a crush on her, which has lasted 30 years. So I just <laughs> wanted to share. Very on that. brand for you, by the way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, look, on Ellen, right? We did a show of Ellen Generous, the sitcom. We actually finally were forced to make out. Was it really a make out? <laughs> to me, it was one of the most memorable moments of my life. <laughs> well, the funny thing about the Ellen DeGeneres show is we never rehearsed the kiss. 
right? So in the backstage where we have to kiss, I remember we, we rehearsed it and I was like, are we just going to peck on the cheek? You know, what are we going to do here? <laughs> and this is way before the intimacy coordinators, right? So I remember I look at Laurie and she just goes, oh, and she just, she just started making out with me. Yeah, it was you. And I was like, oh, I was dude, like, oh, okay, no we're way. in. She, she's no, acting. No, no, no. She's acting. I knew you were acting. She was acting, but it was a, it was a, it was a fun moment. Now back to your other question. Was it dangerous? <laughs> yes, back to it. Talk about that. What's the craziest thing you remember from the very beginning, that dangerous first season of American Gladiators? You know, Rebecca, when you're a young guy <laughs> or girl trying to make your way in Hollywood, you're, and I think one of the things the docuseries does so well, it really dwells into this idea what fame is and what people will go to do to try to achieve it. So when we first started, I just had finished playing you know, football for the Rams. I got cut and I was desperate for a job. So when this opportunity came up, I mean, you could have told me to go, you know, play on the freeway and hit a car. I would have done it. And I had a young kid. I had a young kid to feed. So I can look back through the lens of today and say, oh, my God, some of the stuff that they had us do was dangerous. But at that time, you know, it was just it was glorious. I was this, mm. you know, a kid who had this athletic body and, and this belief in himself that he could be something and do something besides being strapped to a desk. And the gladiators was an arena to do that. Lori, in the beginning, it seems like they wanted the gladiators to be uh, characters, sort of like professional wrestlers. Um, and in the series, we see Gemini, you know, try that with mixed results. You know, it was a fair decision. But Mike, I'm mad now. And I'm ready to go. And he did the best he could. And after about three or four shows, we said, let's just drop this schizophrenic bit. I mean, it's not playing. And he said, thank God, I feel like a fool. <laughs> How do you think the show would have done if it had been more, you know, scripted in that way? I, I think it would have failed big time if it were if it were seriously scripted. And I know that um, they actually tried to do that, hopefully not speaking out of turn, but they tried to do that in the reboot and it just didn't work. The thing that it is that that made it work is that we as gladiators became our own brand. So we had our own personalities that we got to interject. And I mean, you know, like Nitro, his, you know, he's his brand, his cocky, I'm going <laughs> to, sorry, Dan, I'm going <laughs> to kick your ass kind of guy, you know, and, and I was the kind of the, the one with the brand of, you know, I'm going to go out and I am going to kick your ass, but I'm going to smile when I'm done, you know, and it's all in fun. But the thing of it is, is I think that with the characters, it's just too hard to play that type of character when you're playing these types of events, I mean, yeah. these were like, they weren't scripted events. These were real hard-hitting events. So you didn't have time to think, you know, let's go human cannibal. All of a sudden you get knocked off the human cannibal. And all of a sudden, if you had to think about your character, it's like, okay, wait a minute. I just got, you know, my bell rung and now I got to get back into character. You know, how am I going to do this real quick? Right. You know, kind right. of thing. So I think that when I came in, they, they took away, let's say, the character type of base. I got to be me. So that was my personality where I was having fun. I was being a showman. I was just, you know, just kicking butt and taking names and smiling the whole way through. 
But it is important. I'm curious, though, that you guys were also, I mean, you're talking about leaning into your personality and you mm-hmm. became ice. I mean, you weren't Lori and and Dan, you were Nitro. You weren't Dan. Don't you think that's also important for the viewers to have sort of see you as these like kind of superhero types, even if you are just being you in an amplified way? One hundred percent. For me, I always stayed in kind of a character. I always, in real competition, look, I want to win. I am really, really competitive. But I'm not arrogant in the way like I would shove a guy after he win or I would say something like, did a pretty good job for a little man. You know, that's just not me who I am in, in real life. And I think a lot of people, like I was just talking to somebody Instagram me or something and, you know, you were such a jerk, you know, and I go, dude, it was a character. <laughs> Let it go. It was 25 years ago. I always wanted to beat you. And I'm like, it was a <laughs> character. So for me, I think maybe that was one of the reasons that, you know, that character Nitro was so popular because throughout the series, I kind of kept in character. I pushed it a little bit more. Um, uh, and maybe that's what I, maybe if people do remember him, that's what made him memorable. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think you're right, Dan. I think we all had a little bit to it. You know, I hear what you're saying on that, but I think I've seen you push a little kid off the corner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wanting to win, (laughs) I have to ask you this question. There were many contenders, but the one that everyone remembers is Eldon Kidd. He's been called the dirtiest contender who ever played the game. And I'm wondering, Dan, um, is that fair? Are you being too hard on Eldon Kidd? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know we covered this in the docuseries. And And he's in it, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely. And I talked to him not too long ago. You know, I I told him to come in and I just said, look, you got to come in. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the funny thing about Eldon, a lot of times these cold blooded killers, and I don't, you know, in the athletic sense, they are hidden behind this. Oh, shucks. How you doing, sir? Life's, you know, personality. And he was the kind of guy that would do that. Hello, good sir. And then just like, bam, punch you in the balls. You know, he was just that kind of guy. Did I hit your scrotum, sir? I'm really sorry, sir. Oh, well, uh, shucks. I won't. I I didn't mean it. And all of a sudden, next time, bam, right in the neck. Did I hit your neck, sir? What if he gets hurt? What if he bleeds? And the guy said, if he bleeds, you're on the show. So short of cash, wanted to be on the show. And I gave him an elbow to the nose. And he bled and bled, and I was sorry somewhat, and they put me on the show. A great guy, but just a dirty competitor. And you know, looking back at it in all these years, it was just you know a lot of fun to have him on set and to visit with him and to have him tell his part of the story. And admit, by the way, that he was a dirty player and lied on camera about what he didn't know he did. Um, I'm curious, Lori, there was this cascading effect from Eldon's appearance, you know, after he used that illegal forearm to hit Titan in the cannonball. Titan went into this off-camera rage, which led to the producer's concerns about steroid use. And Lori, this seemed like a moment that could have broken the show, right? Mm. Not necessarily. I yeah. mean, I don't want to, honestly, when it comes down to the whole steroid use, I mean, it, it's so blown out of proportion, I think, 
that's coming from me personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it, it again. Yeah, it's so blown out of proportion. It wasn't like that. I mean, you go back and you look at all these different, you know, television shows and wrestling and uh, football, baseball. I mean, this is this is what's, what was happening in the 90s. You know, but yeah, if they want to pull something out and try to make it an example, let's say, you know, possibly. Okay. But at the same time, it was blown out of proportion. It was nothing near that I have heard anyway. I haven't seen this part of, you know, when they're talking about steroids with the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I think the specific question, Rebecca, was did that guy lose his shit And did he chase the referee up into the stands? And the answer to that is 100% yes. Mm. And for a lot of people on the set, it was a a scary moment when you see a large man who's angry charging into the stands. Now, whether that was fueled by steroids, as Lori was saying, is we don't know. You know, we can speculate, but, you know, I've never slammed testosterone into his ass, so I I don't know. The producer said, look, we can't have that regardless of what is fueling him. You can't go chase a referee to stand. So he got fired. And I, I do commend you both, by the way, for your candor in the documentary. Dan, your candor. I mean, you talk about your own experiences. And and Lori, in the series, you also talk about how um, producers instructed you not to reveal your sexual orientation being gay. It may be hard to understand this in 2023, but, you know, coming <laughs> out in 1990 as gay on television would have been seen to be very radical. I mean, Ellen DeGeneres at that point, right, uh, was was playing straight in her sitcom. Um, right. Did did it feel like a no-win situation for you? I mean, at the time in the 90s, you're right. I mean, a no-win situation. Johnny Ferrara, our creator, he basically told me, he pulled me aside and said, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't bring your girlfriend on set. That's not the image we want to have. And if you saw the glare in my eye looking at this man when he said that to me, I think that's probably the, the first... Mm, that I felt, you know, how dare you? Everywhere I looked, it was like, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't come out. It's not the right time. It will kill your career. They will fire you. I mean, I heard it from left and right and everything else. And so it was an interesting time back then. So you just, I, I learned personally just how to deal with it. And everybody wanted, let's put it this way. My teammates wanted me to come out and it was going to be okay. Producers, directors, people in uh, you know other parts of the industry. Uh, uh-uh. uh, it was a there was a it was a no no. So you're right. It's funny how things change. Being here in 2023, how it's like the thing to be now, you know, and and then some, um, to where you can't even. It's hard to imagine back then to where it's like what you you couldn't be gay. You couldn't like you know bring your girlfriends and no, you could not. It was not the time. And we have evolved very much, thank God. The funniest thing, what was on Ellen, right? <laughs> you had two gay women fighting. Right, that's true. Guy. And then there was Dan. <laughs> there was Dan. Because <laughs> if that was done today, Lori, how would it be done, you think? It would be a if different plot line. Today. It would have been a completely <laughs> different thing. But, but the thing of it was, is, is it wasn't that I, I wanted to flaunt my sexuality. That wasn't it at all. It was just don't tell me, no, I can't. Right. Mm. See, that was the big thing. 
Right, right. Well, it's literally discrimination. <laughs> so I don't exactly. blame you. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so, Dan, I mean, you talk a lot about your backstory and some of the pain you experienced growing up in the in the documentary. And I'm wondering, you know, did you expect to get that personal and reveal so much about yourself on camera? Um, of course, he did. <laughs> you know, I, I, I look. I wrote the book. You know. You know, seven, eight years ago. And again, that was a deeply personal book. And I think that's what made it interesting for a docuseries to base it upon because it was a lot deeper than, hey, we're these guys running around wearing spandex. Look at us. And yeah, my goal for this docuseries was to tell something about the human condition, something more and deeper than just, you know, we wore spandex, you know, we oiled up, we kicked people's asses. And I remember saying this to the directors and to Netflix when I was was pitching them, because I said, I also think that this docu-series, in a way, it might be too sappy that it's a love story. You know, the through line of it is a story of self-love and acceptance and the need for change when we realize the emptiness of obtaining a false dream. You know, I have this belief that the ones that are hardest to love they're actually the ones who need it the most. And I can look back on my life and I could see as a young guy, as Laurie was saying, seeing that guy you saw, that was a, a hard guy to love, a guy to like, a guy to say, oh yeah, but it's a hard guy to love. Because I had this brokenness inside that believed the more success I had, the more the crowd cheered for me, and the more I was loved. And then when I got really famous and when that applause and that cheering didn't fill an emptiness inside of me, you know, there were just nights uh, I found myself high out of my mind, you know, just drugs, crying on the floor. And that's when I knew I was in trouble. And I needed to change. And that's when, you know, I raised my hand up and said, look, I, I need some help. So the pinnacle of the Gladiators popularity seems to have been during the American Gladiators tour period. So you traveled as a group by bus across the country and in the documentary, Viewers are told and led to believe that it was pretty debaucherous. Um, Lori, what was it really like? Okay, so so here's the, here's the thing. I'm the one that had the camera. You know, I, I don't know why. Thank God we didn't really have cell phones back then, you know, to actually videotape every little thing. But I was the one that brought the camera and I wanted to document everything. I was wondering that. Curious. Yes, yes. exactly. I'm the one who brought it. So I'll be honest, I probably was picking and choosing some of the moments, you know, of, ooh, I got to get that. Ooh, I got to get that. This was like, okay, let's say maybe, what, three, four, maybe five times out of six months, you know, that certain things happen. So, of course, it's going to look as though that, you know, there was orgies and everybody was hooking up with one another and drugs. And Wait, wait, there wasn't? Are you saying there wasn't? Are you going to deny this with me well, right not here? every no, night, I, Don't Dan. forget, I'm here. Don't forget, I'm here. We were like little kids. I mean, we were all living together in this tour bus. And we had parties on that bus. There was striptease contests on that bus. There was groupies following us. Girls flashing. I think then it made sense that we've hit the big time. So, no, it wasn't like that every single night. Did we have the time of our life? Absolutely. We were like rock stars on the road for six months in a bus, 
things are going to happen. We're going to entertain ourselves. And yes, you get to meet every, all these different peoples, you know, from, you know, how many cities did we do? 106, Dan? No, like 130. Wow. 130, something like that? Yeah, over so months, yes. 100%, we are going to have, we had the time of our life, but no, there weren't orgies and there weren't drugs and everything like all the time. Was there? Yes. Once in a <laughs> while. Once in a while. And wait, I'm going to, let's retract that. I wasn't involved in an orgy. Were you, Dan? <laughs> Only in my imagination. No comment. He has, he has to think about it for a moment. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, look, you know, it's a young man, you know, traveling across the world. That's a yes, Dan. Stage. That's a yes. Exactly. Okay, and think about this. Let's not go into the big, long story, Dan. I'm not going to. Here's the thing. Wanna, it's like, wait, wait. I don't want to glorify um, that type of lifestyle because... There's no glorifying. Know, it's just telling the truth of what it was. In the moment. <laughs> But I can look back and, you know, I'm not that man anymore. And I can, mm. I can see that, you know, it was, uh, uh, I just, I wish I would have been a different man in some of those times and, and places, but I wasn't, uh, enough of a grown up at that time to, you know, to understand that. Yeah. Oh, let me ask you something, Dan, would you have changed it? I wouldn't have. Would you take Not it for the back? World. I think I wouldn't so take. I wouldn't no, change would, a thing. You know, Rebecca, I wouldn't take back the whole experience, right? Yeah, but yeah. you know, maybe a few of those nights drinking, and and I, I would have taken some of those back. Yeah, that you can't remember. Because <laughs> you know, a lot of that stuff. I I, I remember Tower yeah. Steve Hanenberry uh, was talking to me about a few things that we did that were you know kind of risque, and I'm like, I, I was I there? And he's like. It was you. And I, was like, I, I don't even. I don't even remember. So that's. It was part of your life, Dan. It was part of yeah. growing up. It was part of getting to know yourself. It was part of being in your early, late twenties, early thirties, the best shape of your life. You had everything no going through you your now, system. Dan, exactly has nothing to do with who you are now. <laughs> but back then, we were at the height, and so of course we're gonna have fun. Wouldn't take back a thing. Wow. So I have to ask, you know, in a way, seeing firsthand all that popularity and fame and those financial benefits, you know, there is in the documentary, it shows it sort of signals the beginning of the end for the original lineup. You demand a renegotiated contract. The Samuel Golden Company fires you. Looking back, was getting those percentages on action figures and mac and cheese boxes and merchandise, was that the hill that was worth dying on? I'm going to answer that real quick, Dan, if you don't mind. And that sure. is, yes, we. I, I feel as though we were slightly, slightly taken advantage of when it comes to that kind of toy lines. Uh, I mean, they, we Nintendos, I mean, you name it, we had it with our face and everything on it, and we weren't getting one red cent. Therefore, coming back, we weren't asking for like the world. We were just asking for a, just a small percentage of something that we felt that it was fair mm. at the time, you know. But when we came back and the whole negotiation started, I think the biggest mistake 
that we made is we didn't have the whole team behind us. Right. You can't take 10 gladiators and pull out three and go, okay, now we want merchandising. Now we want this. Now we want that. Otherwise, we're going to we're going to quit. Well, of course, they're going to say there's three of you. We got 10. All we got to do is replace you three. Okay, bye bye. Well, there wasn't three. There was like there were six of us. We took all the main characters. It was there was you ice huge star. There was Nitro, not such a big star. There was Gemini. <laughs> Gemini. There was Zap. There was Laser, who later recanted. And it was it was a it was a calculated risk. We never thought for the one minute that they would say no. They had just come out with a multi-million dollar toy line with Mattel with action figures, with all of us who said we're not coming back to work. And this it wasn't like we woke up one day and said, Hey, we want this. We had tried for three months to negotiate with them, and they wouldn't even take a meeting with our lawyer. The the week before, um, they finally take the meeting, and it comes down to a head. So we didn't, like, you know, surprise them. And, you know, for me, it was definitely worth laying down on the sword for. Hmm. Because, like Lori said, we were not asking for anything out of the ordinary. We said, we want what's normal in the business. Give us just that. Be fair. Treat us like human beings. That's yep. all we wanted. And we were stunned, you know, stunned when um, he said, come back to work or you're fired. And then two people, Laser, if I remember correctly, and Zap went begging for the jobs back. So Ice, myself and Gemini were, were like, oh, OK. And, and it was important to do that because sometimes it's not so it's about the money, but it's also about principle. In right. this world, in this life, you've got to treat people fairly, you know, and they weren't treating us fairly. And I really believe this. I believe that Sam Goldwyn Jr., the son of the mogul of, of Sam Goldwyn, the MGM, the G and MGM, who ran the show, I really believe that he wanted to be a big, famous producer like his dad. He wanted to make these movies and he made some. They just didn't do shit at the box office. So I really think when we he was a little bit embarrassed that Gladiators was his claim to fame when he came from such a legendary father in show business. And I think it was all subconscious because when the show's at the height, it's a cash cow. You've got all this merchandise coming out. You're making money. Why get rid of your three or your four most popular people? I Mm. think he didn't want to be known as the G and Gladiators, and he wanted to be known as the G and MGM like his dad. Or greediness. A lot of the media coverage at the time, which we see, like, bemoaned American Gladiators as this sign that American culture was on the decline— I'm curious, Lori, what do you think the show's legacy actually is? <laughs> wow, that's a... Because I'll tell you, an, I don't think it was America's culture on the decline, just to tip my hand a little No, bit. I don't think it was America's culture on the decline whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I think that at, the, at that time, we were at the height, you know, of where everything was at. And I, you know, it's just a matter of... I, I can't even answer that. Dan, you answer that legacy as far as what you think the gladiators, what the, what that is. I think it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people, Rebecca. You know, to me, it was a moment in time 
where I was with some people that I really enjoyed, Ice, Laser, Zap, Gemini, uh, Tower, uh, Storm, Diamond, Blaze, Sky, some people I really, really enjoyed. And it was a time in my life where I, I got to experience something. So I look back on it as a glorious time. Um, I see other people who I meet on the street, like a lot of Asian men, I'm half Asian. I have a lot of Asian, half Asian men come up to me and say, oh my God, there was nobody like you on TV. You know, you really gave me that dream that I could do something and you really pushed me to work out. So I think for, for, for a lot of people, it meant a lot of different things. For a lot of people, it was a glorious time. Other people can look back at it through the lens of today and kind of smirk a little bit. Oh, they're just these guys. But it really, really changed, the, I think, TV. It was the first reality competition mm -hmm. show. And yeah. from... American gladiators, like Lori was saying earlier, Spawn Ninja Warrior, Spawn the Rock, Spawn Lavas, you know, the, like the Netflix show Lavas Hot on the Floor. So it would really birth the new type of TV. And, you know, I, I, I'm proud of it. I'm so proud of it. Yeah. It, I, I think, and, and like Dan, like you were saying, I think a lot of people, when they, when they think back now, thinking about the nostalgia right now, when, I mean, I have heard from so many different people, you know, different fans of when they think back on the American gladiators. I mean, if you're saying at that time, America was on the decline, but yet nowadays people, they want it. They look back, they see the gladiators and are like, Oh my God, I remember when I was a kid, I remember my dad yes. and I, we were like, yes. you know, building like, you know, assaults in the backyard and we were doing this and we were building games and, and it makes yes. for a happy time. You know, you could just hear it in their voice and their expressions when they talk about the gladiators, that it was a happy time. So if America was on the brink of dropping at that point in time, I hate to say what they say now about our country, but I mean, it's like they think back then and go, oh, it's so simple and fun. And it's just, they love that. And that's what they're craving. I think the thing we forget too, it's a show about athletes at the top of their game. And that includes the two of you. The series is called Muscles and Mayhem, an unauthorized story of American gladiators. Dan Nitro-Clark and Lori Ice-Fetrick, thank you for joining me on You Can't Make This Up. It was such a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Rebecca. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Dan Nitro-Clark and Lori Ice-Fetrick. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, TV shows, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. 